Hello, this is the Trainer Tools Podcast, and I'm John Tomlinson. Welcome to the Midsummer Summertime Special, August the 15th edition, in which we will be speaking to Christina Gad. You may remember her from a podcast a few months ago. She's developed the five secrets of accelerated learning, which she talked about in the last podcast, so they're not that secret anymore. And in this one, we really drill down into the first, the most important one of those secrets, which is about how you set learning objectives, which are tied to business need and learner needs, etc. If you like this podcast and find it useful and want to support it, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first one is you could just send me some money. I'm assuming you don't want to do that, so I'll move swiftly on to the second option, which is go to iTunes and write a jolly nice five-star review. The more reviews there are, the more highly you appear in the iTunes search engine, the more exposure you get, etc. So it's really, really valuable to do that. So please, if you do listen to this, you do appreciate it, please make that effort, go to iTunes and give a review. And the third option is to share this via social media, like and share and retweet or like via LinkedIn, give comments or stuff like that. If you don't like this podcast, think it's a load of rubbish or you think it could be improved, please do get in touch and give me your ideas because I'm very open to change and ideas and doing things differently. I'm here again with Christina Gad, the return of Christina. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, John. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, thanks for coming back on this. Your five not-so-secret secrets of accelerated learning was uh, a really good podcast. In fact, so good, we made two of them. Very good, yeah. So long, we split it up. But it was a really good and, and useful topic and really interesting, and I think people it got great feedback. So we, we made this commitment to dig down deeper into each of these five things. So thanks a lot for coming back. That's all right. Do you want to just give a very brief outline of what it is, what what the first one is, and then we'll talk about how we're going to break it down? Yes. Um, well, the first secret from those who listened to the, the podcast was all about objectives being business-focused and learner-centred as well. And out of the five secrets that we went through, um, I feel this one's the most important because you can... You can be a facilitator, not a trainer, and have a big impact. You can know all about your learners and how to appeal to them. You can take care of the environment, physical, social, emotional. You can know lots and lots of stuff about the brain and how it works. But if you don't have objectives that are business-focused and learner-centered, well, you may as well pack up your bags and go home, in my opinion. That might be a bit controversial, but that's that's how I feel about it. I feel it's it's really key it's pivotal really so this is this is your first of the secrets you put it first presumably presumably because you have to start with an objective but also because you think it's the most important thing i do i do and the the other ones i sort of have them in a a rough order but i i put that one first because it is for me the most important um it's the one that really everything else hinges on because how can you design every anything that's um, going to have an impact in the organization if you don't have objectives that the business um approves of and has has actually um had some sort of say in developing and also the other thing is is um in terms of your your learners it has to be learner centered as well because you could have the best business focused objectives but if the learners aren't getting what they want out of it then again it's sort of like well are they going to be bought in you may just get a, um, a, a sort of like a half-hearted attempt to actually do what you're trying to do. So I, I mean I was going, that was one of my questions really because there is a potential for a contradiction or a or at least a misalignment 
between what an organization is trying to achieve and what a learner's personal objectives might be. Yeah. You're, you're saying this is about organizational objectives primarily. I am saying it's about organizational objectives primarily because basically, I mean, the bottom line is you've got to, you know, if you are part of an organization, you want to make a difference to that organization. But what I'm saying also is that if you don't pay any attention to what the learners are trying to get out of it, you won't get their buy-in either because they are stakeholders as well. So what I say to trainers when when I'm working with them and they're thinking about, well, how do we get this balance then? Because I, I feel it is a delicate balance between what the organization needs and what the learners would like as well and what they need. And an example to use would be, for instance, like, you know, customer service training. Most organizations do that. You go into the classroom and you get some, you've got some fantastic business focused objectives, which are focused on really the customers getting the best out of the employees. But let's say the people who are in the classroom, all they really want to know is how, how they're going to make their bonus every month. Now, if, you, if you're not aware of this, then what you may be talking about may just not really switch them on. And you're missing a trick, basically. If you can beforehand, and I do try to do this, if you can beforehand ask the learners what their objectives are, you can say to them, well, as much as I can, I'm going to try and meet the objectives that we've got outlined in the course outline or the workshop outline. But what I'd really like to do is be able to meet your objectives as well. And and obviously, time has got to allow for that. But um, I, I always say to them, you know, if time doesn't allow, then I'll point you in the right direction of what it is that, that you would like to know as well. Um, so I try and get that balance. And, and actually, just sometimes asking people uh, what their objectives are makes them bought into it much more so because you're actually sort of paying attention to them. It's an interesting point, And I know we're going to break this down in more detail as we go through. So let, let, let me just say, in terms of actually structuring it, you were talking about there being five points, well, six points you put, but the sixth one was anything else we can think of. So yeah. sort of five points that really have content, and I think we've already kind of dipped into one already. Do you want to just quickly run through what those five points are? We're going to talk about my obsession with objectives, I think, and I'm not going to apologise for it, uh, you know, about writing objectives. And writing objectives, there's an art and a, and a skill to it as well. So we are going to talk about you know, why uh, I'm a little bit obsessive about objectives. We're going to sort of like look at, I mean, Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. And, and if you don't, if you don't start off with a great objective, how are you going to know when you get there? And then I wanted to sort of go over really is SMART good enough? Because a lot of people are aware of the SMART acronym. I think um, there might be, yeah. I think it's yeah, been mentioned I a couple of so. times. It's been mentioned once or twice. Yeah, just, just now and again. Yeah, yeah. But I prefer using another another framework, which is by Robert Major, and he uses this PCS framework. So I wanted to talk about that and why I actually do that. And then a can lot I, of people... can I can I have a bit of a rant about Smart when we get there? Yeah, of course right, you okay, can. Thanks. Yeah, we can have a little rant. pencil that in. Yeah, pencil that in, rant due partway through. And then it's sort of down to definitions as well, because I find that when I'm working with trainers, some people get a bit lost in some definitions. So it's just sort of underlining what are these def what's the difference between an aim, an objective, performance objective, learning objective, outcomes? Are they all the same or what you know, what are they? And then there were a couple of things that I thought would actually round it off quite well. 
which will save until the end, I suppose, my my little extra little thing at the end. Okay? okay. Okay. Keep us in suspense. I will. I'll keep you in suspense. Yeah. Another secret. Because I've given all my five secrets away, I need to keep something in suspense now, you see. We've already talked about why we're covering this and why you think it's really quite important and why you think it's the most important of the five secrets. So the next thing you were talking about was about how to actually write them. And I know I know you're a self-confessed objectives anorak. Yes, and um, you even have a YouTube channel covering a lot of this stuff as well. So I do, I do. So people are welcome. I'm dead easy to find on any social media anywhere, really, because my name's spelt differently to everybody else's. So do have a look on YouTube, and I've got YouTube clips about it. Um, I think this being an anorak, it goes back to my engineering days um, because my degree was in engineering and. I did work as an engineer for about six years and I think the thing is that I would never have embarked on a project of any sort without knowing exactly what was going to come out at the other end. And that's the thing that surprised me about working with some learning development professionals that they prefer, they, you know, they are they are prepared to be woolly about things. And, I, and I've always thought to myself, well, how can you know whether you've done a good job if you don't know what it is you've set out to do and, and defined it quite clearly? So for me, it's about the language that you use, being precise. Uh, and the analogy is a little bit like, um, you know, if you're playing darts, if you aim for the dartboard, you may, may or may not hit it. But if you aim for the bullseye, you might get a high score. So for me, I'd much rather get a high score than risk not hitting the dartboard at all. Yeah, I, I, I think I could. Ha- I'm no expert, but I hope I could hit a dartboard. I'm yeah. not sure I could hit a bullseye, but I, I get your point. If you aim for the kind of middle, then you're much more likely to, to get a good score, even if you don't yeah. get the bullseye. Yeah. It's interesting your point about the kind of vagueness. And I wonder if this is, I mean, as you say, this is kind of your preference and a lot of people that isn't their preference. Mm-hmm. I wonder if does this come down to things like MBTI type, the people that have a P or a J at the end, people that are much more interested in having things planned and structured versus people that like to keep things open-ended and more uh, more vague, more ambiguous? It might, yeah, it might be. I hadn't thought of it in that, that term. I mean, I'm whenever I have any of these sort of personality profiles, it mine tends to be spread quite evenly across the board. I don't tend to be a strong, particularly strong necessarily anything it tends to be a big spread of stuff and in terms of being open to ambiguity I'm open to ambiguity but there are certain things which I feel that there shouldn't be ambiguity so you know for me it seems logical that when you are designing training you know exactly what you're trying to achieve you know and I've had examples with customers where you know they have said oh yeah we want this training delivering and you know and I've asked them why and why this group of people and they've used words like nice this would be nice for them and and then I've asked them questions like well if it um, if it doesn't deliver on what you're hoping it will deliver who will you blame and they've sort of said well you Uh, (laughs) and so I think well actually um don't I need to be concerned about exactly what it is that I'm putting myself on the line for? Because if I say I'm going to deliver something, I want to know that I'm going to deliver it, but I want to know, you know, what's going on underneath the covers. So that's, you know, I end up asking lots of questions of people to find out what it is that they actually want to achieve. And that's where 
that's where sort of like Stephen Covey's things that begin with the end in mind. So if you know what it is that you're aiming for, you can you can start then thinking about what those objectives are going to be like. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting for people, for those of us that have personality types which favour kind of ambiguity, keeping things open, and we're not great planners. People like mm. people like me, for example. Yeah, you can. It's important that that doesn't become an excuse for doing for not doing this stage. Do you know what yes. I mean? Just because that's yeah. because it doesn't fit our personalities, we think well, that's just therefore it doesn't need to be done, or therefore that's not my way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas a- actually, sometimes there are just better ways of doing things. It's not about a preference. It's better to have an objective. Yeah, I think so. Because um, I mean, I think about when you're facilitating, for instance. I mean, when I'm facilitating, I sort of like suspend that part of my brain. Sometimes the very precise. Because I know that what I need to do is actually be able to flex with the people in the room. And so I think we need to, I think we do need to sort of, as what you're saying, is almost ignore our own preferences and say, in certain circumstances, we need to be precise. In other circumstances, we actually can be a little bit woollier. Like, you know, if you have got a a 30-minute segment that you are facilitating and you want the learners to be able to explore something, then, yeah, there's room for ambiguity, exploring, not knowing exactly what's going to happen and all the rest of that. So it's not like I'm like this in every area of my work. I think it's appropriate that for objectives you should be precise we had a podcast a few months ago with Paul Levy and he was talking about improvisation and about how he likes to actually go in and have this mental state of improvisation and this and, and just humble inquiries, he called it, whereby you go with the flow about what it is that people want to get from the day. But even he was very clear about saying, if you've contracted to deliver something that meets a, a bigger objective for the organisation, you have to deliver that. How you deliver it may well be changed, chop and change and be, um, you know, and be responding to improvisation but actually the objective if you've contracted to deliver it then you have to deliver it yeah i'd I'd, well good luck to anybody who can go into an organization and sort of say i'll deliver something and be very vague about it and and not be precise. Well, I you mean, can't. It's unprofessional, isn't well, it? Well, it is unprofessional. That's what I feel. And um, and so I, I will stick my neck out and say, on the subject of objectives, I think you need to be precise. And I think the more precise you are, then I would completely agree with what you said that about that the methods don't necessarily matter. If you know what you're aiming for and you trust the methods and the tools that you're using to get you there, that's fine, but you need to have something that you're aiming for, basically. So let's move on to the next bit you wanted to talk about. And that was, mm-hmm. a, am I right in saying the next bit was about how to actually write them? Yeah, there's a little bit, a tiny bit before that even. And the bit before that is is knowing whether or not what you're trying to achieve is going to be a knowledge piece or it's going to be a skill piece or it's an attitudinal piece because that makes a huge difference in terms of how you write those objectives and sometimes it's a combination of all three so is that the first sort of the first bit that you would do the first um, step if i'm writing learning outcomes yes i would but um if again if we're sort of looking at the overall big picture if i'm talking to a client um, about what they want me to achieve i start off asking them what is it that you want to see is going to make a difference in the organization and and what would that look like? What would people be doing? What would, what would you see? And what 
what would how would it affect the bottom line and so from that conversation which is a lot more than just those few questions we'd get some sort of um, organizational objective um, and then what I start to do is think okay so I will then go away and think about so what do they need to know what do they need to be able to do and how do they need to be so then that that's then that's that step is those three areas you know the the knowledge skills and attitudes or behaviors or whatever you'd like to call them so yes once you've got those headline objectives for what the organization needs you can start looking at well what do they need to be able to learn right okay so we've got there so we've decided if something is knowledge something is skill or it's more attitudinal yeah which some people i've heard it argued that that's not the basis of a training course although i don't agree with that mm-hmm. but i have heard people saying that if it's not knowledge it's not skill then you've no then you shouldn't be using training right don't agree but for any out there because i have yeah. heard it said i, I kind of get the point and we are going slightly off topic here because it's not yeah. really the point but <laughs> i kind of get the point but i just wanted to put it out there to say that to, to acknowledge the fact that some people think that attitude needs shouldn't be addressed with training courses because you're not because you, all you can do in the training course essentially is build knowledge and skill which i don't agree with either no because i think through some of the discussions that you do and also i, I, I i'm going to stick my neck out there and say that i disagree with that it depends on what it is but i've seen people's attitude change uh, when they've walked into um you know a classroom um just by seeing you know what's on the walls by interacting with people so I, I don't think it's necessarily always the, the key for, for attitudinal change, but I, I, don't, I do disagree that you can't change attitude through like a learning workshop or whatever. I think you can do. I you agree just with have you. To, I think you have to be careful about how you pitch it. You have to be careful about um, how you, how you um, raise expectations from the, the people who are participating how you actually prepare them you know because I often in like a welcome email will say you know it'd be great if you came with an open mind you know come prepared to discuss to challenge whatever you know so that they're so you're opening their minds and and there's that um there's that famous quotation from Frank Zappa about a mind is like a parachute works best when it's open I often use that in welcome emails as well, just to sort of get people prepared. So, yeah, I would I would be prepared to argue about that one, actually, John. Yeah, me too. I, I completely agree with you. I think we, yeah. we can really change people's attitudes, or at least it's part of the answer. I, I suppose the reason I, may, the reason I raised that really was just to be thinking about the objective might sound different than if it's knowledge or skills. It's much clearer and easier to say what it is I'm trying to get to. It's easier to describe and measure, whereas attitudinal stuff is just harder. I might, I might disagree with. You can disagree again. I, I, I might do. Yeah. Blimey, I'm, I'm Chris. Just, I'm just in one of those moods. I you think. are, aren't you? Yeah. Now I've got. This is how much of an anorak I am. I've got a box full of uh, words which are suitable for objectives, and I've got them split up into different colour codes. I know this is going to sound really, really anoraki. But the reason I did this was actually I use these on the train the trainer courses that I, I run to help people to choose between whether it's knowledge, skills or attitudes. But people do struggle sometimes, you know, with using the right words. So, for instance, um, if you're writing an attitudinal objective, um, I can give you some of the words that I might actually use and adopt 
is a great word because if you're adopting some particular principles, then you would be able to see uh, somebody adopting certain principles because that would be in their behavior. And so if you had a framework or a model or something, if, for instance, as a result of what you were doing, you wanted somebody to volunteer to be able to do something or other, that requires a change in attitude as well to contribute to something or to choose something, um, to advocate the use of something as well, to model something. So there's lots and lots of words that I could use um, and also find them easy to, easy to measure as well, which is why I came up with this little box of objective setting cards. So That sounds like a really useful resource. It is. I love it. And and when I'm writing objectives, I often get the cards out because there's something about flicking through the words that suddenly get my brain working rather than looking at a list of them. It sort of gets my brain working and thinking, what is this? And even if I'm struggling with, is there a knowledge part to this? And then, then the skill, once you've built up the knowledge part, then you need to build the skill up as well. Um, and anybody who really is interested in in writing great objectives, you have to have a look at Bloom's Taxonomy. You just have to because that's just a fabulous framework for um, for being able to write great objectives as well. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think Bloom's Taxonomy is really worth taking the time to to really think about and reflect upon and and, and absorb. It There's is There's a huge amount in that. Absolutely, it is. Um, th- those words that you mentioned there, I think, are really useful because they do kind of make something that's relatively intangible, like attitude, yeah. and makes it into something tangible, like behaviour. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's really useful. So I suppose you know, once we've decided whether or not it's a knowledge, a skill, or an attitude, oh, is the next step that we are trying to find these words? We are. Yes. Yeah. So once you've decided, then um, I use. Robert Major's framework, which is PCS uh, rather than SMART. It, SMART, to me, when I, when I um, discovered PCS from Robert Major, SMART started to look very woolly for me. And woolly? Right, it did. Okay. It started to look woolly because I know the first thing is S, be yeah. specific. I.e. not woolly. Yeah, but I mean, how do you be specific? What do you mean by specific? And then okay, measurable, people all know that it's that achievable, uh, realistic and time-bound. It, yeah, I think for me, the PCS, you're looking at, P stands for performance, which is what is it you actually want somebody to do, you know? Um, so it's got to be something that's, that's observable. So that covers a lot of what SMART is, is covering anyway. And then the C for me and the S are very, very useful. So the C are the conditions under which you want to observe this. So, for instance, um, you might say, okay, it might be in a case study. Because I'd like to actually put in just at this point, actually, John, is that some people write objectives and they'll say something about they want to improve their customer satisfaction rating by such and such, whatever, as, as an objective. Uh, and I, I, I would say to them, well, you can't do that in a workshop because the customers aren't there. So you can only do stuff in a workshop that you can observe. So the, the objectives have got to reflect that. So I, I wouldn't put something like improve customer service rating, you know, within the work. That would be a, a post-workshop um, organizational, perhaps, um, goal or performance goal for an individual. But it wouldn't be a learning objective. It's got to be something that they are learning and then you want to actually measure it. So the C bit is about the conditions. So under what conditions? Is it in a role play? 
Is it without notes? Is it in a group setting? Whatever. And then the last bit, the standards, how well do you want them to do it? So, you know, just using the word correctly. So if you've got a, a customer service standard and you want them to be able to describe it or explain it correctly, that's that's the standard bit. But it may be like, for instance, if I was if I was um, training people in the five secrets of accelerated learning, just using the word five, you know, name the five secrets of accelerated learning is quite different to describe the five secrets of accelerated learning correctly. You know, just by the use of the words that takes you up. Bloom's taxonomy uh, another level because just to list the five secrets of accelerated learning you could just rattle off the five general headings whereas when you use the word describe it goes into a lot more detail basically does that make sense yeah absolutely absolutely I think the the PCS model for learning objectives what makes a lot of sense and I think you're right in the sense that it is more specific than smart because it does add on the condition that it did, I mean, depending on how you express the performance in the P, of course, mm-hmm. but it does add on the conditions and the standards. Yeah, and, and actually that is fantastic once you've done that, because I often, when I'm doing Train the Trainer, we do an activity where people are rewriting their objectives. And the big light bulb moment is for them, they sort of go, but now I know how I have to assess for learning as well. So, you know, the the condition would be, you know, in a case study or in a role play situation, you know, whatever. And you know that that's the way that you're going to measure it as well. So, yeah, I find it I find it really, really helpful. And, I, you know, I've just seen how it makes a difference when when I'm helping other trainers to write objectives, how it's helped them get some real clarity as to what it is they're trying to do. Yeah, I know um, when I've actually delivered sessions for trainers, train the trainers or facilitator type development, and I've said, right, we need to look at objectives, immediately everybody goes, they must be smart. And you can feel the energy leave the room. Yes. You know, because they just yeah. think, oh, God, we're going to have to go through this again. Yeah. And when you actually say, no, they don't, we're actually going to look at a different model. We're actually yes. looking at PCS and you know, just the relief. Yes. You know, that people breathe just because it's not this smart, this yes. omnipresent acronym which yeah. is just taken over. This isn't my rant on smart, it by the isn't. way. My, my rant on smart is more based around the fact that the acronym is kind of, it is a good acronym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it does have wisdom within it, but it, it, it kind of takes over. And I think when we talk about performance objectives, what performance objectives should be about is they should be, here is... Um, a, a, a deliverable that adds value to the organization mm. which is motivational for the individual to do and mm-hmm. it's probably challenging for them as well so it has a developmental aspect mm-hmm. that's what's important yeah it, what's not important is smart fitting in of an acronym which basically means you end up reducing your ambition and reducing your scope of what you're trying to achieve yeah and you, you make you end up making the objectives less and less relevant to the mm. individual yes and things should be they should add value to the organization. They should be motivating. They should be challenging. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's important in a performance objective. Yeah, I, I would agree, John. Definitely. Yes. And I, and I would say that you could you could apply. That unfortunately doesn't make a good acronym. No. Motivational, challenging, and adding value. It just doesn't make a word in however you organize those things, really. No. No. Mac, I suppose. Mac. Go, well, back, to Anna, go back to Anorak. Yeah, Anorak. Go back to it, yes. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, but 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 I think you can use that approach when it comes to the kind of the bigger level of objective. But when it actually comes down to what is the objective of this workshop or this session within this workshop, 
Yes. I think that's where something like PCS really comes clear. Cause... It really does. And I've, and I've worked with people who have got, you know, who deliver very technical subjects, who are um, engineers. I've just been working with a big engineering company and it's really, really helped them. You know, I, I, ca- I can't think of anybody who's come away thinking that was a waste of time or, you know, whatever. Everybody gets it. And once they've got it, they're like, this makes it so much easier. It makes design an absolute doddle. You know, yeah. you nail it down, what it is that they need to know or, or the skills that they need to be able to do or the attitude, you nail those down and then the design just flows out of that. It makes it so much easier, John, honestly. And I, I spend a fair bit of time wrangling over what the objectives might be and how I word them and everything. But it's well worth spending that time. It really is because then what happens is that the design just flows. And the 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 other side to that is times when I've uh, in years gone by when I've done when I did associate work, I would struggle sometimes with um, the delivery of something because I'd be given a session plan, I'd be given trainer notes. And I'd start to get this knot in my stomach, and I and I and I used to thought, think, what is going on? I know this subject, but why am I getting all anxious about it? And it was often because I wasn't really clear about what it was that we we're trying to achieve, and the objectives were really woolly, and there was like great big thick, you know, notes for for the workshop for the participants, and you thought, well, which of these things am I meant to actually cover? So um, I think it's really, really helpful. And if you if you are if you are sort of planning to to give your trainer notes and your session plan to somebody else to deliver, I think if you've got really, really clear objectives, it makes it so much easier for them because they know what they've got to concentrate on. They know then what what are the nice to haves. They know what to leave out as well if they're running out of time. You know, if you've got clear set objectives. Also, I think it's that's good for a lot of learners. Yeah. Because even though uh, some of them probably are not that focused or not that bothered, there's quite a lot of people that really do want to kind of feel, did I get to where I was supposed to get to? Yeah. And yeah, again, yeah. it comes back to that personality preferences. Yeah. So if you as a trainer are like me and you perhaps won't have that in your mind, mm-hmm. so you don't mind, you just learn anything, it's fine. That's not true of everybody. No. And some people really need to feel, did I get there? Did I get what I was, Did I tick the boxes I was supposed to be doing? Yeah, and and as a learner, I need that. I need to know what I'm getting out of something. I'm also a very practical person, so that's sort of double for me because what the objectives then do for me is that it's giving me that framework of this is what we're trying to achieve here, um, and so I know where we're heading for, you know, and I know I, I know that I've got to pay attention because it's something useful. So yeah, it's it's a no brainer for for me really, but you know, it's not always the case for. For everybody, you know, some people are quite happy just to go along for a nice day out and um, just meander along that river of learning. Yeah, yeah, certainly, I, I, that's me. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you, so, so we talked about, first of all, um, thinking about whether or not the knowledge skills attitude. Yeah. And then we said we're using PCS, Robert Major's framework, as yeah. our... Uh, way of drawing up these objectives with the performance, describing the performance, describing the conditions, describing the standard. Yes. We're using the words, you gave some examples of words that belong to attitude, but a good way of thinking about this in terms of what you, where you actually want to get to is referring to Bloom's taxonomy. Yeah, yeah. And that's Bloom, just B-L-O-O-M, if anybody wants to look that up. Yeah, Benjamin Bloom. 
there's a very simple Wikipedia page on that, which is I always have in my favourites. Oh, right, yeah. So I can't remember all of them all the time because there's the different domains, aren't there? The yeah. Knowledge domain, psychomotor. God, what are they? The psychomotor is the skill one. There's the there's the cognitive, the cognitive, the psych, which the is psychomotive, the knowledge, the knowledge and the, there's the effective one the or something. There's an emotional the, one, isn't is there? The, uh, the the effective is the actual behavioural or or the attitudinal one. And I think he shot himself in the foot. I don't know whether he's still alive or not, Benjamin Bloom, but I, well, I probably do not think, if he shot himself. I, no, no, I think he shot himself in the foot <laughs> because of calling them these these names because I think it puts a lot of people off. You know, calling them psychomotor, affective, um, and cognitive. Whereas if you just said knowledge, skills, and attitudes, or knowledge, skills, and behaviours, people know what you're talking about. That's to, to be honest. That's the kind of thing I'd have done because it's the kind of love yeah. of language and the love of the love of defining things. Even calling it taxonomy. You like that word, dear? I do. You I see. see it's the sort I, of thing I would do. Pe- some people recoil when I say, "Of course, um, yeah." We're going to look at Bloom's taxonomy because, and I said, "Don't you know? Don't worry about the word taxonomy. It's just it's just another word for classification." And so this is all about classifying, you know, what it is that you're trying to learn and using the right words for it. So it's very very simple. But he just made it sound. Yeah, made it sound. He yeah. made it sound really difficult. Yeah. So I'm a bit cross with him about that, actually, because I've well, loved Bloom's taxonomy. I've just Googled him, and he died in 1999. Ah, right, okay. From being shot in the foot. Did he? <laughs> no, that, no, that's not true. But he, he did die in 1999. Right. So... Um, he did a good job, though. He did a very good job in actually coming up with that framework. And and I often say to people, actually, you wouldn't go far wrong by taking in a small version of Bloom's taxonomy when you're actually having those stakeholder conversations. So, you know, when you're asking them, well, what is it that they need to know, um, you know, and to what level? Is it just that they need to regurgitate something or do they need to actually be able to understand it and apply it? So it gives you also that that sort of language to be able to find out from your stakeholders, you know, what the level of learning is as well. So uh, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a um, fabulous framework for anyone who wants to learn more about how to write great objectives. Well, yeah, and more just in terms of, yeah. I think, in terms of any kind of learning intervention design. Yes. I think it's very useful in thinking of what you're actually trying to achieve, what you're trying to get to and, and how to get to it because the taxonomy goes through stages and you think, well, you have to go through you know, remembering before you get to understanding, for example. Yes, yes, you do. So I do think that there's an element of, I'm, I'm kind of disagreeing myself as I speak <laughs> about that, about what I just said, but let's move on because otherwise we'll, we'll, we'll get bogged down in Bloom's taxonomy. All right then, yes, let's move on. So, um, yeah, I've sort of covered PCS, I suppose. I, I just wanted to nail a few. Uh, Perhaps you could give a couple of examples as well. Well, um, for instance, you could say if you're doing, um, if you're doing, say, customer service training, one of the things would be that you want people to actually be able to explain what your customer service standard is. Yeah? yeah. So that, that might be part of the learning that they have to be able to explain it to somebody else, you know, but basically so that if you've got somebody new coming into the team, you'd be able to explain it to them. So, you know, I would use the word explain rather than anything else because it's a good word. Explain the customer service standard. But in the workshop, you need to put a C and an S in it. So what are the conditions? So um, I might um, say something like in, a, in an activity, 
um, explain the customer service standard correctly. So that would be using PC and S as well. So um, I might do like a, a poster design or whatever, you know. So actually, in a nutshell, um, you're going to describe what the customer service standard is, but, but you're going to do it uh, in a poster or whatever. So it takes in PC and S as well. Another example, what might another example be? You might have to pause this at this point, John, because um, I have got some examples, but they're a bit further on. Oh, you've got some examples for later? Yes. So what actually, want... I've got, no, I've got one. Actually, do you know, I've got one here that I could actually use. Well, give, give us an attitude one then. An attitude. Because you did, you did ones then which were around skill and knowledge. Yeah. So, for instance, I might I might sort of say. So again, going back to customer service, I might sort of do something like use the word demonstrate. So it's about demonstrating the principles of customer service, whatever your standard is, according to um, our internal standard in a role play situation. And what you might have is you might have sort of like um, a tick sheet uh, where somebody is observing you and saying, well, have they demonstrated this? Have they demonstrated that? You might have like five things that you have to do, always greet the person, always be polite or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, And I think that's so interesting because the development of that tick sheet gives you everything that you need to know about how to do that customer service behavior yes and it's not difficult it's not and and i mean i you know i said to you i disagreed with you about sometimes attitudinal being difficult it's a it's a mind shift if you can get the right words then it it becomes very very easy this is why i developed these cards because i just thought this is so much easier if you can choose through you know a number of different cards you know that you can actually look at these cards and think well which does it apply to because these are great words and like for instance um you know by the end of the workshop you'd want somebody to to volunteer to do something now that takes a a shift in in attitude so if they volunteer to do something rather than being told to do it you know you could have by show of hands you know at the end of the workshop you know uh, by show of hands well you know you volunteer to dot 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 so, um, yeah, it's that choice of words, and it just does make it a lot easier. Yeah, I think you have to drag attitude down to behaviours and yes. describe it as behaviours. Yes, absolutely. And, not, and, and then it sort of frees you up. Yes. And, and the sort of broader thing, like have a customer service attitude, which is extremely woolly and hard to kind of define, in just sorry, hard to measure just to leaving it like that. Yeah. As soon as you actually say, well, what is that? What behaviours should I see? Yeah. What and it might be say? the smile, it might be the, the, the courtesy, etc. Yeah. As soon as you actually write down what those behaviours are, it, it suddenly it's the problem solved. Yeah, and also all in all in that objective, you've got you've got how you're going to measure it as well. So you're going to observe somebody yeah. in a role play as well, doing all of those things, and you're going to give them a you're going to give them a tick sheet with some feedback about well, when you actually go into the job. We want you to do this properly. That you know you did these well, but you need to improve on these. And then that that tick sheet that you get as well, you could give that to the line manager. Say, look, this is what you're looking for, you know. Or maybe they're recording calls or whatever. This is what I want you to pick up on. And again, it gives them a framework for then giving that individual um, some feedback as well about their performance. Which isn't that what we're trying to do? To get yeah, exactly. Get yeah. it back into the workplace as well. And so you've designed a sheet which you can you can measure what what they're doing um, in the workshop, but you can also give that same sheet to the line managers to sort of say this is how you know whether or not that 
that training has been successful as well. And hopefully it will, in, it will improve customer service and customer satisfaction as well, which you should be able to measure um, within a few weeks, months, whatever it is that, you know, the, the time frame is that, that you set. I just want to give a quick shout out to Gary Platt at this point as well, because we did a podcast with him. Okay. A few, quite a few months ago now, possibly, I think it was last year, in fact. Yeah. But he talked about developing objectives, which were excellent, based on exactly the kind of thing you're talking about, where you have that kind of tick sheet yeah. of the micro behaviours yes. that you want to see, and using that as a structure for actually really simplifying this whole idea around performance objectives. Well, that sounds a great idea. That's it's a really, really useful yeah. methodology that I've used a lot since, and it's absolutely opened up that whole performance appraisal. It's just simplified that whole performance appraisal thing for people. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's absolutely key. But you need to know what you're looking for in terms of, you know, I think that key thing is ask yourself, is it something they need to know? Is it something that they need to be able to do? Or is it something, or are you looking for behaviours? And, and if you're looking for behaviours, you need to talk to a line manager about what behaviours do you want? You know, what do you want to see that's different? And, and when people say, oh, I just want this to be better, Better than what? You know, make sure you ask yeah. the right question. Better than what? How do you how do you define what's going to be the standard? So there needs to be some sort of standard. So this is why I love the PCS thing because there's a standard there. It's not just better. It's actually it's saying it's defining it. You have a standard. It could be a defined standard. If you've not got one, you have to define one in some way. And it may be just that it's correctly because you already have a standard, or you you have to start writing something which then defines what those those uh, micro behaviors you call them didn't you yeah i just want to quickly make the point about behaviors when we talk about the difference between a behavior and a skill or behavior and attitude because mm -hmm. i just a behavior is something that you actually choose to do yes so you may have the skill to do something yes but you don't actually do it absolutely and and so behavior kind of reflects your what decisions you choose to take which yes. reflects your attitude which is why we tie those two things together yes absolutely that's that's a really good point as well yeah yes so we can we can see a change in attitude by a, sometimes a change in behavior and so that's a, a key thing to remember and some and a, a challenge to that which again i don't agree with that some people make is they may exhibit that behavior but not actually have changed the attitude and my response to that is well so well yeah yeah as long as they do the behavior because eventually they if they're doing it often enough they will change their attitude internally something will change internally if you go if you go up Bloom's taxonomy, you get to the point where actually it becomes, because you're doing it so naturally, you've just got used to doing it day in, day out, you just become a role model for it. And it just it ceases to be something that you force yourself to do. It just becomes part of your normal behavior every day. Yeah. And, and even if it didn't, um, it wouldn't really matter as long as you were doing the behavior to, to the right standards. Yeah. Because that's really what we want to see. Yes. We talked then about how to actually write them basing around the PCS model, using yeah. those words, um, obviously basing it first of all on whether we think it's knowledge, skill or attitude, behavior. Mm -hmm. The next thing you wanted to talk about was just sort out this difference between what's an aim, what's an objective, what's performance, what's learning, what's organizational. Yeah, because I think it's important because, again, I've found that um, a lot of people can be very woolly about this. You know, they, they seem to use the word aims and objectives and outcomes interchangeably. For me, objectives and outcomes 
can be used um, interchangeably. But aims, for me, that's a general direction that you're heading into. So I could say to you, John, I'm going to run a marathon. It's not. It's absolutely not true because I'm never going to do it. But it's sort of that's an aim. It's a general direction. I'm going to run a marathon. You know. Um, another aim might be we're going to improve customer satisfaction. That's a general direction. There's nothing specific about it. Whereas an objective is much more specific. So I could say to you, I'm going to run the London Marathon in 2017. That starts to give you an idea of what I'll do. And you might actually ask me about it at the end of 2017. And I will categorically say, no, I didn't do it at all because I have no intention of doing it. But in terms of something like customer service, you could say by the next quarter, will improve customer satisfaction from 79% to 83%. So that gives you an idea of, you know, you're changing something. It's more specific. You know where you're heading. A performance objective, because people talk about performance objectives as well, that's even more specific. It, It shows you specifically what bit of performance you're going to improve so you know if I was going to run the London Marathon in 2017 I'd say you know I was going to run it in 2017 in under four hours you know that could be a performance objective quite an impressive one as well it would be wouldn't it it's it's absolutely never going to happen John I tell you if you You keep saying that Chris I believe it's okay yeah I'm not going to make you do it no I know I know I shouldn't have chosen that example because people will be asking have you run the London Marathon yeah and I'll say absolutely not So um, in terms of sort of how do you relate that to, say, customer service, you might want to reduce complaints by 30% in the next quarter. Uh, You might want to reduce the average time taken to resolve a complaint by 10 minutes. Uh, You might want to reduce the number of complaints uh, having to go to a senior team member by 20%. So these are all aspects of things that you can see happening or not happening. And so you want to improve them. So it's quite simple, really. You know, performance objective, it's, it's, it's going to be something about what somebody is doing in their day-to-day jobs that has an impact on the organization. And the last one is a learning objective or learning outcome. So these are the things that you have to learn in order to achieve those objectives. So, for instance, if I were if I were running the marathon, I might want to be able to describe a high protein weekly menu during my training period to help improve my efficiency. So it might be around, you know, diet or it might be around, um, you know, how I how I actually pace myself or it might be, you know, how long I run for whatever, you know, something that I have to learn. And in in terms of, say, customer service, that might be list correctly the seven steps to the complaint resolution without the use of notes. So that would be, you know, a learning outcome or learning objective or demonstrate in a role play how to listen and question effectively in a complaint handling situation without the use of notes. And the effectively bit is I would then have to have a tick sheet. To, to say what effectively means because effectively to me is woolly unless there's a, you know there's something behind that standard is that is that clear john yeah i think so and i think it it kind of makes it's the key point of what we're talking about because this this secret of accelerated learning was that they have to be business focused yes so it has to start with well what is the business aim yes. and if it is for example uh we want to be a much more customer focused company that's mm-hmm. our aim to be the the customer the customer service company yeah so organizationally what does that mean yeah in terms of how we're going to measure it what we're looking for what are the key touch points that we're thinking about 
And then the performance objectives are what will the performance we will see in these places, mm -hmm. these places in the customer journey we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. And therefore, what do we need to learn in order to influence the performance, in order to influence the organizational objectives, in order to achieve the aim? Fabulous summary. It's all right, wasn't it? listening. Yeah, I'm I impressed. Have. I am Thank impressed. You. Well done. Thank you. But if you don't get those things lined up, then it could be a beautifully written objective to a lovely training day, yeah. but not fit into those bigger picture Absolutely. bits. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I'd love it if we all knew as L&D professionals, we all knew about that, you know, how it all fits in. I don't apologise for sort of going over it because I think it's worth going over it, you know, just to make sure that people absolutely know. Because some people, it's like when some people say to me that they use accelerated learning, you know, and I, I'm always curious about that. And they say, and I say, well, what do you do then? And, and they'll say something like, well, we put posters on the wall and we put music in the background and we have fiddle toys. And that's the end of it, basically. And it's, it's the same when people say, yes, we do write great objectives. And I say, okay, what framework do you use? How do you make sure they're great? How do you make sure they're aligned to the business? And, and so, you know, that's the way that you find out how, how closely they will help the organization when they're writing those objectives. And that's the key. Because if you don't do all of that, then it doesn't get joined up. So No, no, it doesn't. You're right. Absolutely right. So let's move on to the, the last bit, which is your top secret bit. Yes. So I um, have got a little thing because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, somebody listening to this podcast may feel a bit overwhelmed that, oh, gosh, how do I do this then? How do I do this? How do I start doing this? And do I have to do this on my own? And, you know, who's going to check up on me that I'm doing it correctly? And the thing that I wanted to share with people is that you don't do this sort of thing on your own. You ask questions of the stakeholders, you engage them. And a word that I've been using just recently, and I really like it, you you, you infiltrate the organization. You start to understand how it ticks. You understand who are the people that I need to ask about these things. What is it that I actually need to put into the objectives? Listen and understand the needs of the learners and also listen to what the organization is saying. You know, try and understand how it works. Set the objectives that meet the needs of the organization improve performance and also help learners be motivated to learn. Remember that right at the beginning we talked about these objectives being business focused but also learner centered. So ask the learners what needs to be in there as well. Ask them because you want them to be bought in. If they are bought in they will help you achieve those business objectives as well. So that was it. That was my little nugget, really. It's about, you know, making sure that you understand the organization. You're talking to the right people to then help you develop those objectives as well and check them and agree with them as well. I think that's a really important point. And it, it sort of sounds obvious, but at the same time, it kind of isn't. Because all you need to you, you just need to ask, and you know they want they want to achieve these objectives as well. If you're contracting externally, this should be part mm. of your contract negotiation anyway. Yeah. Yes. If you're, if you're not, if it's internal or the contract's not as quite as specific as that, either way, it, it, it helps in terms of proving your worth. It helps in terms of, uh, you know, measuring. But the conversation itself gives you so much knowledge and insight into, into what the organization wants to achieve, mm -hmm. in, into the particular challenges that the learners will have, because that will come up in these conversations. Yeah. It just gives you so much more depth of, of knowledge and awareness that just allows you to just to deliver a better workshop. 
Yeah, and and that word that I used, infiltrator, um, I came Oh, yeah, I like that word, yeah. I like it because I was talking to um, a lady called Mary Miller um, at this unconference in Manchester a few months ago, and she used to be L&D manager for McCain, and she said that what she did when she actually became L&D manager was that she used to send her team to all these meetings that were going on all over the organisation, even if it was just to take notes or make coffee or whatever, and it was almost like she was sending them out there to find out what's going on because sometimes organizations aren't joined up and there's nobody to see why they're not joined up and so what she found was that you know they would go to some meetings and maybe somebody in sales said something and then they went to an operations meeting or a research meeting or a manufacturing meeting or whatever and suddenly there was an insight in that, hang on a minute, somebody mentioned that in that meeting I was in last week. This is why it's not working. So you've got somebody who's infiltrated the organisation, starts to understand what's going on. And that's what I feel we need to do as L&D. We need to infiltrate the organisations that, that we are either working with or we are working in. Yeah, and it is about infiltrating, getting under the skin, really understanding it and yeah. knowing where they're trying to get to, knowing the issues challenges etc mm-hmm. and and co-designing that those learning objectives so you're not creating performance condition standards that don't make any sense to them absolutely you're not doing it in a vacuum and that's, no L&D should not be in a vacuum it should be part of the organization it should be part of the fabric and so if you are part of the fabric you are help. You are actually co-creating. You're absolutely right. You're co-creating those objectives, and it's not so daunting when you think of it that way, is it? No, not at all. I'm sure we've made the point already and <laughs> and won people over, but I just want to say it again, really, because if you don't do that, you will sort of turn up with stuff that just makes no sense to people, and it will be, you know, case studies or standards that just don't apply to their real world. Yeah. So then, even if they enjoy it, even if they think you're brilliant and love it. Yeah. And even if they've got all the fiddle toys and all the rest of it, they'll yeah. still walk out and think that's great, but the real world's a different thing. It's all great in theory, but mm. and all that will be how they feel about it. It will all yeah. be like that. My I mean, world's different. Yes, yeah. I mean, let me just give you an example. It's probably is it, it's a very very brief example. I'm working with a client at the moment to deliver um a very short workshop for they're not trainers, they are people who are team leaders. And I wanted to do an exercise which was about the um, understanding what the difference between when you're learning knowledge and when you're learning skills, what's the difference and how do you how do you know what the difference is? So rather than making up examples for myself, I've asked them for some examples because I want them to reflect on their own work practices so that when they are sat with their with their the person um, that they're meant to be supervising um, and doing some on-the-job learning, they understand how that might differ, you know, if it's a piece of knowledge they need to learn or if it's a piece or if it's a skill they need to learn. So I've asked them for their examples rather than me giving examples. And that's sort of like, it's it's getting to speak their language, you know what I mean? And showing that you want to understand what their issues are as well. So that's for me, that infiltration. Yeah, and it's just a great word, isn't it? I like it. Yeah. It's my yeah. favourite word at the moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it all the time from now on. Good, so good. So thank, thank you for that. And thank you for reminding me about Bloom's Taxonomy, which again is another thing that I really love. And what's not to love about Bloom's Taxonomy? No, it's, it, it is really good. It is. It is. Apart from the title, that's all. The, over-compli- the overcomplicatedness yeah. of it all. The overcomplicated thing, yeah. 
which I quite like, but respect what you're saying, the fact that it's not a good communication because it, it is overcomplicated. Yeah. So thank you very much, Chris. I think that was a really, really interesting and useful stuff. And I hope people listening to that found, also found that useful. And I know they can go to your website to find out more information about you. And you're also on the trainer-tools.com website. You yeah. have a page there with links and everything like that. And you're on YouTube and Twitter and everything. So I am. I'm all over the place. So as long as they can remember how to spell your name, people will find you very easily. They can find me very easily. Just remember, it's not how you'd spell it at all, Christina. It's K-R-Y-S-T-Y-N-A, G-A-D-D, -G -A -D, and you can find me just about anywhere. And I've got little videos and all sorts of stuff on YouTube that might be helpful. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And if you haven't listened to the previous one, where we actually go through all five of these, then yes. yeah, in obviously less depth, but then please go back and listen to, to those podcasts because they're, they're really good. And we will continue this series. So thank you very much, Christina. My pleasure, John. It's been lovely. And I hope the weather's nice in Leeds. Um, it's sort of a bit cloudy, but it's been it's warmer than it has been. So, Well, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good by it's Leeds standards bad. in May. By Leeds standards in May, it's not bad. That's yeah. all right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much, Chris, and I'll speak to you again. All right. Thanks very much, John. Bye. Bye. So that was me talking to Christina about accelerated learning. You may have noticed that I've been diddling around with the theme tune and funking it up here and there. Actually, I haven't. It's the person who actually wrote and performed the theme tune who's been doing that for me, which I'm very grateful for. And the tune we use is called Corporate Cufflinks, and it's exclusive just to this podcast. If you're interested in having any music written for you, I can strongly recommend my colleagues, so please do get in touch. And likewise, as regards the logo and visual appearance of the Trainer Tools website, I can strongly recommend Christian Graglia, who is a good friend of mine who did that. So if that's interesting for you, if you have a need related to graphic design, visual design, logo design, that kind of thing, I can really recommend him. He's very, very good. So get in touch and I'll be happy to hook you up. And that's it until next month when we'll be talking to Simon Gallen. And he is the director of personalstrengths.co.uk. And they are the people that own the license for SDI. And they've been in the SDI business. That's the Strengths Deployment Inventory. They've been in that business since the year dot, since the whole thing began. So that's a really interesting interview and he talks about SDI, where it came from, how the theory works, but also how you can apply it and use it in, you know, L&D, in team building, leadership development and all those kind of environments. So tune in for that one. That will be September the 15th and see you then.